amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. To another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host Leanne. Yes, I'm back after an unforeseen week off last week, um, but Tom did brilliantly in my absence as usual. Tom, how are you? Uh, yeah, been a, been a pretty solid week for me. How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I'm better on the men now, so um, that's all good. And today we're joined by two brilliant guests um, who've written some really, really good articles for us. So first of all, we've got Ollie Emerson. Ollie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Leah. Lovely of you to ask. Um, yeah. And um, we've also got Hamza joining us, who's done a very, very detailed article about sort of the financial analysis of Liverpool Football Club. So, Hamza, how are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be on, and um, very much in a content mood after our victory over Porto, and looking forward to the weekend, as usual. Yeah, so let's get straight down to it. Um, Ollie, we'll start with your article which discusses Trent Alexander-Arnold and his performances of late and sort of how he's impressed you. So why don't you talk us through your article and, and your thoughts on him? Yeah, so after the Porto win, as lovely as it was, I th- I was trying to think, sort of, I wanted to write something. I had some time and I, I thought, you know, it's really, everyone's writing about Salah, who's, again, fantastic. You know, I've figured lots of people would be writing about Mane, Firmino. And another thing, the sort of the person that I thought, I don't think he's going to get that many sort of uh, that much praise for his performance but equally it was an, another impressive display it was Trent so I had a sort of a little closer look at his display because he was coming up against Brahimi um, and I think when we all saw the line I think we all rate Trent really highly but in terms of these crunch games where you come up against really high profile talented wingers you probably look at him and Gomez and say well you probably want Gomez in because he adds a little more defensive stability to say just sort of from from the outset like just looking in um, but I think Trent had a fantastic game against Porto. I think just some like quick fire stats to sort of show how well he did. Um, 
Brahimi was coming up against average 5.5 completed dribbles per game in the group stage and got nine in one game against Nami Keita's Leipzig, but only had three on Wednesday. Uh, he's fouled on average three times a game, really good at winning free kicks. Obviously, we know that Porto have got some really dangerous players to put the ball into the box and some that massive striker with the big head. Uh, but he didn't win one free kick. Um, Brahimi tried to take on Trent nine times because he fancied his chances against sort of a young and experienced fullback. Only succeeded on three occasions, so Trent came shot most of the time. And he didn't make one. Obviously, you've got Alex Tellers behind him, so crossing isn't the biggest part of his game. But there was still the attraction there because of, I can't remember his name, but Porto's giant Akin Fenwell-like figure up front. Uh, Brahimi didn't make one cross during the game. And I thought it was like another good performance for him. And I was sort of, I was thinking about how in his short Liverpool career so far, he's played a lot of crunch games. If you think his Premier League debut, the first time he started was at Old Trafford. Uh, and I think we all remember he had sort of a shaky start against Martial, eventually got the better of him, didn't make any key mistakes. I think he played a couple of really nice passes in that game as well. And then he was thrown in against Hoffenheim with Klein and Gomez out in a huge game for us in August. Like, obviously, it's easy to say now, you know, we're practically in the Champions League quarterfinals, it's all been rosy, but Hoffenheim were a really rated team at that point. We all thought that, you know, our season could hinge on sort of the first couple of games. Trent steps in solid defensively, bar that sort of late slip for Uth to score, but he's made made up for it with a fantastic free kick. Um, so like two of his first few performances, United and Hoffenheim, he smashed it both times, and then he hasn't played that much in the league this season, but he has played well when he's been called upon. We've put him in more pressure situations when Gomez was uh, suspended in the Champions League. I think Trent uh, scored away at Maribor and then assisted at home. Uh, and then coming in against Porto and Southampton as well on the, the Sunday prior, sort of two more big, difficult games against good, good opposition with talented attackers, and he smashed it again. And I just think we, we all sort of think about Trent as this really good young attacking fullback who's going to go on to have a really good career, whether that's in midfield or at fullback. We all think he's a talent and he's going to go on to be fantastic. But I think with sort of how and praise must go to Joe Gomez because he's done really well this season um, in most games but I think sort of what gets overlooked sometimes is that actually how good Trent is now and I know when I think he first got brought into the team sort of last season Klopp said that he's you know he's a fantastic player he just needs to learn to defend a bit and by the looks of sort of I know it's limited times we've seen him but when we have seen him he's, I've never seen him play a game for the senior team where I've watched him and thought, you know what, this game, it's just got away from him. We need to get him off. He's had like the odd 10, 15 minutes where maybe it looks like he needs some cover. And I think Milner and Wijnaldum helped him really well on uh, Wednesday. But I think sort of the main point was that given the way he's performing against these top attackers, it's definitely fair to argue that he is probably able to contribute more now than maybe we expected. And sort of looking at that sort of thing, we might get to a point in the summer where we say, do we still need Nathaniel Klein with given how well Gomez and Trent have done? So yeah, in just in like summary of three points, really good against Porto, really good in other games this season and last in his short career. And my general idea is I think maybe we should be seeing a bit more of him now and we shouldn't be afraid to play him in high pressure get in high pressure games, maybe even if Gomez is fit. Yeah, and and, and as you say there, it's it's um whenever you think of Alexander Arnold, probably it, it seems a weird thing to say, but he's sort of testament to the modern day fullback in that we, our minds get casted to his attacking abilities more so than his defensive contribution. But as you said, he's really stepped up in that sense and in big games too. So Porter is testament to that. You've also mentioned Manu on his debut, which he did well um, after growing into the game. So Hamza, what have you made of him? And, and do you think he's developing into a much more 
well-rounded player in terms of, yes, he can bomb down the line and get those crosses in and add something in the final third, but actually he's proving to be a lot more stable at the back, which is really his first duty. And very much so. Uh, rounded is a word that I was going to use. Um, it, he, he's a phenomenal player and he's showing signs of learning as well. So earlier this season, he had a, a shaky game. And then when he was introduced back into the team, uh, reintroduced back into the team, sorry, uh, he was much stronger uh, he was uh, aggressive going forward, uh, aggressive in defence. He seems to pair very nicely with the centre-backs, despite uh, the changing number of centre-backs that we've had. Uh, he, he's very much that rounded player, and I see an improvement all round from him. Uh, there's discussion about him going into midfield, but I, I really think he's a phenomenal talent at right back. He has that wonderful uh, offensive ability, if you, as you've noted. His set-piece ability is fantastic as well. Can cross the ball. Uh, there's a long pass he played earlier this season. I remember he played it and I thought, oh, it's too flat, it's too flat. What are you doing? You put the ball out and it's kissed the surface, sort of uh, in a, a sort of Gerard esque or Alonso esque manner uh, and went right into, just into the corner, I think. And it may have been Firmino who was chasing it. He has that wonderful vision. And uh, compared to Gomez, uh, he offers something completely different going forward. And defensively, I think he's also progressing where Gomez is becoming becoming a bit stuck at the moment. He's made a few similar mistakes, and as of yet, he's not um, learned from those. Uh, when the ball goes over his head and he's turning around and he's, he just loses his man, uh, as he did against Arsenal. Trent, you, you're not seeing sort of um, consistent mistakes or mistakes within one department with him. You're seeing... Um, Mistakes every now and then, but there's no sort of real pattern to them. It's not, I can't say, I oh, there's a technical flaw here. There's a, another issue there. He seems very, very mature in the way that he plays, very composed. And I think he's a fantastic asset to the club. Uh, and his offensive output, as, long, as well as his defensive output, is fantastic too. And in terms of interceptions, he's doing really, really well, which will help us uh, progress forward Um when, uh, when we're attacking and when we're looking to press. So, yes, he's a fantastic player uh, and a, a quality lad. I'll be honest, I am i don't really understand what more Trent has to do to start right back ahead of Gomez regularly because I don't think he... I don't think Gomez brings the same things to the table that Trent does. I think, as we've talked about recently especially, uh, Trent has been learning from and coping with his mistakes in a way that I don't really think... Um, Gomez has. I think, as, as you mentioned, Hamza Gomez is making the same mistakes consistently, whereas it seems to me, at least Trent, every time he makes a mistake in a game, he's learning from it constantly. He constantly looks like he's improving. And then, obviously, on ball, I think he, he just offers something that we really, really need, which is natural width. I mean, if you look at a good example of this is the Southampton game, where we were just kind of struggling with it a bit because we know Salah likes to tuck in quite a lot to take up more dangerous positions. Which And when we don't have sort of a wide midfielder, on that side, whether it be because Vinaldum again is quite quite narrow. Chan's okay at it, but even then, um, Ox tends to go missing in these, these sorts of games. So we need someone who is going to fill that space on the right hand side. I think the Southampton game is a good example of where Gomez just hangs back and hangs back and hangs back, and he's not willing to commit. And in games where we we don't need him to play as almost an auxiliary third centre back, it can be really really frustrating to watch him be 10, 15 yards further back in the pitch than he really needs to be or really should be. And that's where I think, whereas with Trent, you always know he's going to offer an option. I think one thing that um, is actually really, really almost underrated about Trent's performances is his, is his range of passing. 
because we, we talk so much about how Liverpool need people to go from back to forward or from to you know through the lines really, really quickly. Trent is a phenomenal passer of the ball. He can play really long, intricate passes, really intelligent passes. He's a phenomenal passer of the ball. He's arguably the best passer of the ball on our side, to be honest with you. I mean, if you look at some of the passes he's pulled off in recent weeks. So I think there are elements to Trent's game that really, really sort of stand out. Whereas I don't think Gomez quite has any element of his game that stands out. I think you could argue Gomez is a more solid option. But I'm not really sure what that means because I, I, you know, you don't really see Trent make too many defensive errors that often. And I think Ollie's hit the nail on the head with this, with this game, is it, with this article, sorry, which is that this is a game where we were really potentially concerned that we were playing a more attacking fullback in a game where we thought he might be exposed. And he absolutely wasn't exposed at all. He was fantastic. Yeah, and, and just to add to this sort of comparison talk going forward Trent is obviously a lot better than Gomez um but you you say there that maybe Gomez is sort of a safer bet more solid at the back in terms of the fact that he doesn't have that burning desire to bomb down the line so is that potentially Ollie you know what Klopp's thinking in terms of using Gomez in the league because he's not got that burning desire and he therefore just sort of stays rooted I think that is it yeah because I think whilst I definitely think that sort of the idea that Gomez is more defensively solid and the sort of idea that he makes less defensive errors than Trent, I think that's not true because I think we've seen a few times this season, especially when Gomez dealing with the high ball has come under the cosh a bit. Whilst, but that, then again, if Trent sort of got done by someone at the back post, we'd probably say, well, it's not, it's because he's not as tall. So there, there are issues with sort of both in that aspect. Um, I think. The Klopp's thinking is perhaps that the idea that Gomez is solid in, in that what, what, what we're saying about how when you know Trent's always going to offer an option, you know how Trent's going to always bomb on. The fact that our left-backs are Robertson and Moreno, the fact they're always going to be doing the same, sort of in some games it lends itself to having Gomez in there in the way that he might like sort of slot into sort of a three kind of thing where, when we're in possession. Um, and allow sort of maybe someone to pull out on the right, Salah to go in, sort of allow the interchange ahead of him, whilst offering a certain sense of this keyword sort of solidity by not necessarily the fact you've got someone at right back who's going to make less mistakes, but you've got someone at right back who, due to his time as a centre back, sort of is more likely to be comfortable shifting back into that sort of defensive shape where you've got the three at the back rather than if we had Trent and Moreno playing or Trent and Robertson, and sometimes you'd have two full-backs bombing on and maybe sort of little protection left behind them. But in terms of just basic errors, I think it's overblown to say that you've got a right-back with Gomez that makes less mistakes than Trent. And therefore, I think in the games where y- you feel like you're going to be, the onus is on us to sort of, you know, get men up the pitch and put the pressure on the opposition, there's definitely more of a case to play Trent because of that. You don't need the the right back to drop in and make sort of an auxiliary three and then added in what Tom said about his fantastic passing range just on his passing quickly I think what really impresses me is that this is a kid who's like been the best player in every youth team he's played in he's hyped as a you know fantastic future of like future captain maybe whatever he's like from Liverpool he's got loads of pressure on him but and he, he, he will know he's got the talent but I think he knows when to apply his talent in the right areas you rarely see him try and do anything silly in a defensive zone, sort of to try and prove I'm good enough to be here. You know, he'll he will keep it simple, and he sort of like thinks his way through the game defensively in a way that he knows it's not his strongest uh, attribute, and he doesn't want to make any mistakes. But then he knows at the right moments when, like that brilliant diagonal against Swansea, I think it was to Firmino, or he played. Uh, I think it was. I believe it was 
Southampton, but I might be wrong. There was a couple of balls over the top to Mane where Mane should score. When he, when he gets forward, he knows when he's got the ability to play a really good pass, to be brave and to try and make something happen. And that is a sort of an underrated aspect in terms of a lot of the Liverpool squad will either... I think we saw it with Coutinho a lot. Uh, I'm not sure we really say his name, but we saw with Coutinho a lot. He'd all, like, regardless of where he was on the pitch, he'd probably try and make something happen, which wasn't necessarily to our benefit. Uh, sometimes I'm not like some some of the other midfielders in the side. Sometimes they'll be a bit too cautious. They don't know when to try and break a line or play the pass. Whilst Trent seems to be able to sort of balance it really well in terms of he knows when he needs to just keep it simple, but he knows when he's got the chance to use his talent to slice open the defence. Yeah, and uh, I mean as we pointed out, because he's got that attacking ability, it's sort of a, an indication of how football has changed in terms of the demands of a fullback and. Trent is very much of the new era of right back, left back, um, you know, bombing forward and getting into that final third. Um, just an open question then. Obviously, Nathaniel Klein is back in training now. How does that influence uh, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in terms of his progression and hoping to get those league games? But also in terms of is it you know positive because he's now got someone of experience like Klein who can help him out with these big, big Champions League games to come? I'm gonna just jump in quickly because I've got. I, I think we should sell Klein in the summer. Uh, I don't really know what's going on. There's been lots of rumours about that, but just looking at the base stats, Klein is a decent defensive player. But a lot of that, I think, is because of his pace. It allows him that if he does make a positional error, he can get back quickly. But Klein is turning 27 in uh, about six weeks. Uh, he's had this injury, uh, sort of whatever. We don't know how if he's going to be as quick. He's getting older. And when a player's, it's, it's similar story with sort of Lana. When a player's greatest attribute is their sort of their physical nature and what they like, how fast they are, how much they can run, how strong they are. When that starts to wear away, I think there's a case to cash in. Not necessarily because Klein isn't at the level to play with anymore, but because he, I think it, we, we're in an ideal situation where we can still get good money for Klein this summer. I think we definitely make back what we spent on him, whilst having two really good right backs coming through. I don't think he's enough of an up. I don't think let's just, even assuming that Klein comes back and plays as well as he's played for Liverpool, and he has been a, he's been a good signing. But even if Klein comes back um, and sort of plays at his peak, I don't think that's enough of a jump up from the performances that we've seen Trent and Gomez put in this season to say, you know what, we're going to stunt the progression of these two great young right backs, and we're going to not cash in on Klein. Ham, did you agree with that? Do you think that that's like a valid point in terms of actually Klein's place before he got injured was very much, um, you know, it was his. There was no real competition. We saw Trent a couple of times, but it was always this player that was developing. Whereas now there's this idea that actually he he is still developing, but he's at the stage where he can be used more often. And so, so Klein is, is coming back to a role that's not really his anymore. And actually, can he sort of get it back uh yeah i think that's a fair assessment um before klein it was seemed seemed to be sort of a secure spot for him as in we wouldn't ask questions you'd get a six or seven out of ten from klein very rarely an eight very rarely we go ah oh, klein was man of the match today he went forward um putting some great crosses got some assists that's not his game and i know his fans were probably more inclined to to want someone who does that sort of thing um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think it can only be a good thing that Trent is now a competitive player uh, for this position, uh, and, and I think 
Yeah, having having him will will only increase Klein's sort of development or any improvement from what he's currently at. I know his levels probably dropped off from what he was at because of his injury, um, but I expect having some competition will push him onwards. We saw that with um, uh, with Moreno this season, for instance. Uh, he didn't have any competition uh, two seasons ago. Last season, he didn't really play. And Milner took his spot. But now that he's had a competition, and so has Robertson with, with Moreno just being injured recently, uh, they've sort of uh, driven each other to improve. And having that competitiveness within the squad is fantastic. It gives you depth. It gives you variety. It gives you range. Uh, you can attack teams in different manners depending on who you're playing. You can adjust your formation. Uh, and this variety is, is fantastic. Uh, it's exactly what you want for a team that's looking to challenge, that's looking to, to build on what they already have. Because if you have a, a good starting 11 and that's it, you're not really going to get very far. Once you've got competitiveness, not just at the front three, not just in midfield, but in these, uh, these key areas, uh, such as left back and right back, you, you can really excel. We've already seen the difference that say Carl Walker has made to Man City or the, or Christensen, uh, for Chelsea, uh, Valencia for United. Having, uh, top, top players is, is is something that, that we can't take for granted and it's fantastic to see that uh, throughout the squad uh, and hopefully over the summer we'll be improving and creating more competitiveness within the squad in other key areas like midfield and then the players should push themselves on to improve and then we won't just be seeing Klein as a sort of defensive fullback or Gomez just as a defensive fullback. Indeed, we've seen Gomez actually try and go forward more this season. It's probably not his game but he's in- incorporated it into his game. Amber is his first season for Liverpool, where he was played at left back, and the first two games he was fine. The third game, however, he really struggled as he was he wasn't used to using his left foot. Uh, since then, though, we've seen he can now play play good cross on his left foot, and he cut inside and uh, gave an assist when he cut inside on his left foot earlier this season. And that's exactly what we're looking for. That's what we should see when we've got players with different abilities and skills competing for each other for the same spot. They'll adapt to each other. They'll uh, gain different skills, they'll improve each other, and uh, I can't see any downsides to that. Yeah, I completely agree. I wouldn't sell Klein just yet, just because for me, Klein is what a lot of people think Gomez is. He's really, really good defensively. He keeps, he makes our right side of our defence look so much more solid. He's got a good partnership with Matip. Um, and he still contributes going forward. He doesn't maybe contribute as much as Trent does, but that's just because Trent's a bit insane when it comes to that element of the pitch. Whilst I certainly agree that it's not as straightforward as Trent's, that the attacking fullback, the other two are the more defensive fullbacks. The sort of the the stats do send teams to suggest that Trent is better at the attacking side of the game, and they also seem to suggest that we are worse defensively with Trent on the pitch. Although I would caveat that with because I've just been having a look at our performances this season with Trent compared to with Gomez. And so, yeah, the, stat, the defensive stats do tend to suggest that we're actually better defensively with Gomez on the pitch. I was having a look at our XG this season. We've played 17 games with Gomez at right back, kind of starting, and 10 games with Trent there. Um, in those games, um, we've conceded 13 goal, sorry, 13 XG with Trent on the pitch, which is 1.3, compared to 15 XG with Gomez on the pitch, which is 0.9. So it's quite a big difference. What I would say is that some of those are a bit misleading in the sense that, for starters, when you're looking at Trent, you've got uh, three penalties in those included in those, um, compared to just two with Gomez. And I don't think any of those penalties were Trent's fault, including the two penalties against Spurs. 
You've got the um, and obviously the penalty against Brighton. You've got the um, the Watford on the opening day where we conceded a lot of XG late in the game, and part of that was actually Gomez's fault when he came on. So that's a bit different as well. Like when you consider that Watford's XG, for example, their their 93rd minute equaliser in that game was actually a 0.8 worth of XG, which was partly Gomez's fault anyway after he came on. So that's a bit of a again just kind of skews it slightly. Yeah, and the other one is of course that uh, Trent played in the five nil against Man City, and I think. You know, that's one of those things where you kind of look at it and go, well, would Gomez have made a big difference if he played that day? Probably not. So it, it, it is interesting, but on the face of it, we do tend to con- to concede more XG with Gomez on the pitch compared with Trent. Although I haven't done the, the stats for the attacking side of it, we can see that Trent does produce uh, more. He has a higher, has a significantly higher XA and a better XG than Gomez. So one would indicate the team probably has a higher XG with, with Trent on the pitch as well. Yeah, and it's, it's important to note that while we're talking about Joe Gomez being sort of the defensive option in terms of his willingness to go forward not being as strong as Trent, he's actually made a number of errors that have led directly to goals, such as uh, Leroy Sané uh, at Hamfield, that near post shot when he just misguided, uh, sorry, misjudged the flight of the ball. And he's done that a couple of times, as we mentioned before. So it's it's an interesting comparison, but it's it's not one where we're saying or where we can say Joe Gomez is a really, really solid option. He doesn't make mistakes. He's only young as well, and he's still developing his game. So it's it's a good thing for Liverpool that we've got a, a couple of players here coming through and developing into good options for Klopp. Um, the one question I would I would ask both of well all three of you it is it, it at the moment looking at the games Liverpool have to come. So in it, hopefully, obviously we we battered uh, Porto. So I can't really see us losing by that margin to, to crash out of the Champions League at the moment. Um, touch wood, please. But looking at the games we still have left, do you see Klopp continuing with his current pattern of using Joe Gomez in the league? Or does he now, is it at the stage where he can sort of unleash Trent in the league and despite the opposition, despite this low block or not low block defensive structure and just say, you know, let the wheels come off and let him do his job. I think as long as Gomez keeps playing at a decent level, he'll keep using Gomez because, like I said, regarding sort of the shape and the way that you've got a bit more of a balance with a right back that doesn't push up the pitch as much as opposed to the left backs that Bonon like doesn't know tomorrow. Uh, and I sort of base that on like we've not seen anything this season, so it's pretty clear I think that when Klein's out, Gomez is the first choice right back, but. Klopp's not afraid to use Trent as need, like where he's needed and I think what Trent's impressive performance against Porto and Southampton and so on I think whilst it's not necessarily pushed him above Gomez in the pecking order it, if Gomez had maybe it might take Gomez three bad games in a row beforehand for Klopp to go right we're going to change it whilst maybe if Gomez has a bad week in training and then a bad game or something I think Klopp might be a bit quicker to switch it up when he knows that he's got another capable replacement that's proved time and time again he's well capable of putting in top-end performances. Hamza, do think... you agree with that, or would you like to see um, Klopp switch it up? Um, I think Klopp should switch it up, depending on the, the team that we're playing against. Uh, for example, when we play Chelsea and the penultimate game of the season, um, I'd probably go with Gomez in that game, uh, because... They have their wing backs and they like to get forward. And I think, think maybe it'd be a good idea to have this sort of defensive-minded player or more defensive fullback in that sort of position to deal with that uh, with that danger. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to see Klopp change it up a bit. 
Um, I'm sure Gomez could do well in certain Champions League games as well. Um, against some maybe more offensive teams, such as uh, if we were to come up against Barcelona, um, maybe I would opt for Gomez because the way Chelsea played the other day, they were very, very, very structured, well structured in defence. Uh, and I think that sort of approach could cause Barcelona problems as you attack on the break. And we probably don't need um, Trent as much uh, on the break um, it, against a team like Barcelona as long as the midfield's doing their job. So it's very much a, an it depends sort of scenario. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be good to, to let both of them get as much game time as they can because who knows, they should be pushing for a, an England squad, uh, World Cup squad place. Uh, and I think uh, Klopp will, will want to give them that opportunity as well. For me, um, I think I, I do want to see more of Trent than we've seen. I think there's no reason to suggest he sh- shouldn't be getting more game time. I think in terms of whether or not Klopp will, I don't think it's as clear-cut as Gomez will play when he's fit because we have seen Klopp starting to favour Trent a little bit. Admittedly, Gomez has been injured, but Trent has put together a really good run whilst Gomez has been injured, and Gomez hasn't been good at all in the few weeks prior to his, his injury. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see Trent continue. I certainly think we need to see Trent continue against teams like West Ham, Watford and Newcastle. Those are three of the four big games we've got coming up in the next month or so. Um, I would like to see Trent start all three of those because I think he's really, really effective against the low block. So what I would say is that I would like to see go maybe Gomez against Man United just because I think that's got to be a game where we've got to be a little bit more careful of someone like Martial or Rashford. And we know Gomez is good in that sort of game. Um I agree with you, maybe play Trent against Chelsea. It depends on how we tactically look at it. I think it's just very, I think at the moment, I am more in favour of a horses for courses kind of suggestion, but I would like to see Trent play more than he has done. And I would like to see maybe that league tally end up closer to 19-19 than it is at the moment. So maybe I'd like to see Trent play maybe seven or eight of the last 11 league games and then maybe rest Gomez for the Champions League. Maybe go the other way with it. You also need to play okay. Gomez against United because their team is absolutely stacked. Like I was watching them do the handshakes last night and I think Antonio Valencia's biceps are bigger than my head. Gomez isn't <laughs> that strong though. Like he's really not. That's yeah, the thing. but he's, Everyone... like, he's bigger than Trent, isn't he? Like He's bigger than Trent, but he's also not very good in the air and not very good at throwing his weight around. No, but he's I'm just talking like, in terms of if, if there's a scuffle, we need some big lads in uh, there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just because I, reckon I don't know. I think I think I Trent Scouse would the team out with one punch. But Trent Scouse, so he'd be properly up for it. I would love to see Trent just just KO someone in that United team. It'd be great, wouldn't it? And you'd love it more because it's Trent and he's Scouse. It'd just be a laugh. I'd take a Trent red card against United just for the, as long as we won, like. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, moving us on to the next article is Hamza's article on the financial analysis of Liverpool Football Club. So I'll let you take it away and sort of delve into what is a fabulous uh, piece of writing and if you haven't read it please do go and check it out uh, a few weeks ago uh, you may remember the money report came out and i did a report on that and that just looked revenues uh, for the for the club and Liverpool were doing quite well and then um i think uh dan rhodes our editor he wrote a piece for the tompkins times about this particular report that uefa published called the european footballing landscape and um I decided to have a look at that, and uh, and I went through the reports, uh, over 100 pages long, and there's some really, really interesting discussions there um, and talking points about the state of football, uh, the state of English football, uh, the influence of money uh, within English football, Spanish football, Italian football, uh, French football, uh, but also specific figures to each club. So there's 
something that the first part looked at domestic sport, uh, domestic support within uh, within top clubs across Europe's leagues. Uh, Liverpool performing quite well. Our attendance is up, obviously, because of the main stand. We have uh, analysis of sponsorships as well. And uh, you can see a sort of a tier structure coming into place here, play here, uh, where you have these sort of hi- hyper club structure of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Manchester United, where they have huge uh, sponsorship packages. Uh, then you've got the sort of super clubs underneath, and I think it's probably fair to say Liverpool are within that sort of bracket, but probably at the lower end of that bracket. So that's where you've got um, Bayern Munich, uh, Juventus. Uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, and Liverpool are pushing and trying to get into that. And uh, what I try to do with this article, alongside look at the sort of uh, match day revenues, wages, uh, the debt, and so on, is to sort of place Liverpool within this context, uh, find a sort of direction that Liverpool are heading in. And I think generally it's fair to say that we're going on the upward trajectory, uh, and also to see areas where we can improve or key areas that we need to meet. Uh, in order to improve, one of which was uh, Champions League qualification, consistent Champions League qualification. And I think uh, through doing that, we'll be able to compete uh, with teams like Chelsea, Arsenal, um, in financial terms, because at the moment they're, they're above us within the, the revenue rankings and um, the top 20 Deloitte rankings as well. So uh, that's what I wanted to look at. Uh, there were key findings such as wages where we spend a, an outrageous sum of our revenue, around 69% of our total revenue on wages at the moment. So that there are structural issues here. Uh, but what we're seeing is the club is looking to address them. So we've had um, concerted efforts to increase revenues through uh, sponsorship deals. I know our, our kit deals are, are up for renewal soon, as is our sponsorship deal with um, Standard Chartered. Uh, the club is uh, managing its debt through, with the, the new stadium through borrowing from the FSG group itself. So there's going to be low interest there. And uh, through increasing revenues, you're able to spend more, uh, increase your capacity, your size. Uh, and then through that, you can have better players, you can be more competitive. And then in the long run, through these sort of consistent Champions League qualifications, so successful commercial deals, uh, we'll be seeing successful performances reflected on the pitch as well. It's a strange thing that you need successful performances on the pitch to get more revenues and then more revenues to get more successful performances. Uh, so a lot depends on how we do this season, how we do in the next few seasons, uh, but also there is uh, a lot that comes into play with what the, the board and the club are doing itself. And I thought it was really interesting to just have a look at how we're doing. And I think it's fair to say that we're doing quite well, but there's also uh, a great deal of scope for improvement uh, but but yeah, that's the the gist of the the article itself. Yeah, and you talk about sort of the the scope for improvement, and one of the things I found really interesting actually was the distribution of website visitors that you go into because um, you you point out that Liverpool actually there's a a big scope of needing to target um, other regions outside the UK to get that pull and to sort of therefore get additional revenue um so that sort of stood out to me because you think a, a club like liverpool with that stature would be bringing in um or, or driving people from outside the uk but in terms of other clubs it actually isn't that high um but ollie what did you make of the article and and what stood out for you and sort of the the findings of the piece 
I thought it was really interesting. Um, once I managed to, like, uh, um, it was much longer than I expected. And, like, the sort of detail that's been gone into is absolutely fantastic. It's sort of like, like you said, Hamza, not just looking at the base revenue, looking at all these different sort of uh, categories that come into sort of analysing how well a club's performing, sort of in terms of how well it's marketing itself, how the, well the finances are doing. Um, and I think what what sort of stood out to me was that obviously you've touched on areas for improvement, and I think that's a really good point because in a lot of areas, like the general sort of consensus is probably that if you sort of would split the superpowers of world football into tiers, Liverpool are a sort of second tier club in terms of our revenues, in terms of how much we spend. We don't buy the Neymars of the world, but we buy the Salas and so on. Um, but in some areas, like the website visits and stuff, in terms of how our marketability, with marketability even, we're sort of more of a top five club. Like we're not quite at the United, Real Madrid, and Barcelona levels, but past that, I think us and Arsenal do really well in that aspect. And I think there is Liverpool have definitely sort of dragged themselves into the 21st century in recent years and become much better at sort of the commercial side of things. But there is still a way to go. But the the positive thing is that whilst there's a way to go, there is still an audience that we could attract and bring with us in that sort of aspect. Um, like you said, I think redeveloping the Anfield Road uh, stand would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's more stuff we can do in terms of obviously, you know, we're looking to re- we'll be renewing or getting a new shirt sponsorship soon. So uh, I was just, just on the article, I was just like really impressed by sort of the amount of detail you've gone into. With my main takeaways being that I think it did highlight sort of and give offer some evidence to the idea that Liverpool can't compete with Manchester Cities with your Real Madrid's and your Man United's in terms of pure transfer outlay, but we can compete with almost everyone else, and we have got the potential, like you said, you know, you need to invest money to perform well on the pitch, but you also need to perform well on the pitch to invest money. But there is potential and we'd sort of seem to be definitely heading in the right direction to end up doing both of those things and increasing the talent that's on the pitch and also increasing the amount of finances we've got coming into the club, which is only ever a good thing. Yeah, um, no, yeah, I think the two the two sort of big areas I look took away from the article in terms of where Liverpool got lots of reasons to be positive. I think Ollie kinda hinted on, which is the um Anfield Road End stand, if we can get that capacity up to 60,000, there's a lot of scope there for a sort of, um, for a real rebuilding, to, for a real improvement in match day revenue. I think one of the key things there is that we're one of a few clubs who've jumped above the 1 million, 1 million mark in terms of attendance. In that, in, is that in a season? Is that aggregate league? Yeah, aggregate league attendances of over a million in a season. I think we're now up to 11th in terms of that. So, um, if we can improve on that further, we can get our aggregate league um you know we can get our uh, revenue up as a result of our ma- as a result of that we know we've got scope to go get past where get past west ham um i i'm looking at the i'm looking at the thing now our average attendance is fifty three thousand. if we can get that above above fifty five thousand towards sixty thousand, we are looking at being you know not not just 11th which is where we are at the moment in terms of attendance we can get that up to sixth or seventh really potentially um i'm looking at the table right now it is we're looking at realistically six or seventh ahead of celtic ahead of potentially even west ham or even arsenal and if we could be you know top top six or seven in the world for um attendances that's definitely going to give us a positive in terms of our match day revenue which can obviously only be a good thing um the other area uh, that's obviously picked up on is sponsorship deals and how obviously our sponsorship deals at the moment uh, are okay uh, they're not too bad 
but where this is one area where we can steal a march because our sponsorship deal is going to be up for renewal in three years, whereas the other clubs have got to wait between five and ten. So both our our kit and our shirt sponsorship deals on top of other sponsorship deals, there's lots of scope for Liverpool to pick up a really, really improved deal in that area fairly shortly, which could really, really benefit us if we can get above 100 million euros for our kit and sponsorship deals. Well, that's a, an area where there is a lot of scope for us to improve. And I mean, those, those sorts of sponsorship deals, that's where you make your big money. And if we can make our big money on that, I mean, match day revenue is going up year on year. Broadcast revenue is going up year on year. And obviously, the Premier League is going to have that advantage in other leagues, which will certainly help Liverpool propel themselves above the likes of uh, PSG, Bayern Munich in terms of money coming in. Um, whether or not we can scrape past the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea, that's going to depend on getting the stadium up to getting that much revenue up and getting that sponsorship deals up. I think there's plenty of scope here for Liverpool to launch themselves and maybe not quite catch up with the likes of Man United or Real Madrid. You know, they're the sort of two that are miles off into the distance. But if we can sort of put ourselves sort of above the likes of Chelsea, the likes of Arsenal, the likes of Bayern, if we can get ourselves above that category in terms of off-the-pitch revenue, which certainly looks plausible, then that's certainly going to have a knock-on effect on the pitch where we're, where we're clearly making strides anyway. And it's just a case of the off and on sort of coming together to make sure that we're improving on both stages and making ourselves just a bigger club and a better club as a result. And when when we start winning trophies, that is going to naturally improve the revenue anyway. That's going to allow us to spend more on transfers. And it's all a cycle. And if we can start... In, if we can make these kind of big moves off the pitch, which FSG has shown that they are really starting to get and really starting to do, then we can start making big strides on the pitch too. Yeah, there's two points I'd like to pick on there. The last point that you made there, uh, Tom, and one point made by Leanne, and they're both tying to each other. That's uh, The club is now actively looking, and we, we can see this. So uh, I remember the Dunkin' Donuts deal was done quite a while ago, and we saw a number of commercial deals come into play. So the club was actively seeking to um, pursue commercial deals with uh, international companies and for two reasons. One, we need to increase uh, our revenues. The other being is that the club historically has not done a good job. If you go back to the the 90s, uh, this was where Manchester United really had a sort of takeoff period. Uh, They built strong economic and commercial foundations by getting their sponsorships in and that's how they became the, the, the billion, one of the first two or maybe the first billion pound club, football club in the world uh, by establishing their commercial base very early and they really took took um, advantage of that when the Premier League sort of took off. Liverpool, however, in the 90s and the early early noughties did, didn't do that so much and then obviously in the late noughties came into financial trouble. So we've been very much playing catch-up. Uh, but the key to this and the, the point that Leanne made about foreign uh, fans visiting the website is that we now have something to sort of capitalise on and we're already seeing it. We've had tours to Indonesia, Australia, uh, America through the, the Red Sox link, uh, China. So what we're doing is we're trying to tap into these key markets where uh, which are growing in their interest for football uh, and where there's a large number of fans who are definitely going to buy into the club and uh, buy merchandise, buy tickets, uh, support the club, increase the, uh, the, the readership and so on. Uh, and then we also see what we have with this as well is that we can take advantage of our players as well, something we're not doing yet. But within the report, this is something that I didn't discuss as much because it's not as relevant to Liverpool. We're now seeing the rise of player brands. Cristiano Ronaldo is probably, I, I think it's I, I think it's him, is one of the most followed people on uh, on Instagram as well as Twitter. 
um, more so than Real Madrid. Uh, that's remarkable, right? Uh, you've got a player that's got a bigger following uh, than the football club he plays for. But now this is commonplace. We're seeing players, Messi, uh, Coutinho, Neymar, Eden Hazard, that they're outperforming in terms of outreach to their own clubs. So what Liverpool should be doing is actually harnessing this. So you've got players who are key figures on the international scene for their own countries. Sadio Mane, uh, Nabi Keita, uh, Mohamed Salah in particular. I think we've all seen that picture on Twitter the other day of a, a street in Egypt, a road in Egypt, where Salah is plastered everywhere in Liverpool shirts. And that's what we really should be looking to capitalise on at the moment. I, I, I can't say if the club's doing that, but I imagine they're working on that because that the the new CEO is quite quite savvy in, in targeting these areas. And these commercial deals will only bring more and more benefits to the club. And as soon as you can tap into an individual player and their potential offer pitch, you're, you're really bringing in a new dimension to you, to your commercial side. Uh, and not many clubs are doing it really successfully at the moment. Obviously, uh, Romjid and Barcelona can, can piggyback off the brand of um, Ronaldo, Neymar, Manchester United did it a bit with Pogba. You saw with their, their, their release of uh, or, uh, the, the video that they did with Sanchez. You're now seeing this sort of uh, build-up and commercialization of, um, of announcements to players or transfer links. And all of this just contributes uh, to, to the brand of the club, the brand of the player, uh, revenues. And it's, it's fantastic to see that clubs are aware of this. And I think Liverpool are in a unique position where they can really uh, utilise the players that they have at the moment, two of which are standout players for their countries. Firmino, less so a, a, a huge Brazilian name, but a Brazilian name nonetheless, and that gives you that sort of South American link. As soon as uh, children in Brazil are wearing Firmino shirts, that, that's an opportunity for Liverpool to seize upon the Brazilian market uh, or other South American players too. So yes, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, and uh, as Tom says, the scope for improvement and that means the future is bright for Liverpool, providing they take the right steps and the performances on the pitch reflect that. Yeah, and it, it's not a phrase we like to use often as football fans, but football is a business at the end of the day. And and it sort of comes hand in hand with the likes of transfers. And as you said, with, with Mane there and with Salah, they're very marketable. And that's why a move for someone like Christian Pulisic could actually be really, really good for the club in terms of, you know, you're getting a very, very good, talented player. But in terms of marketing, that could really open up the US market and allow this greater scope um, worldwide for Liverpool. And obviously then you've got the link with Klopp and, and Dortmund and stuff as well. So sort of moves like that need to take, you need to take into consideration the marketability of it as well. So it, it's really, really interesting to look at football sort of in that, in that scope as well. Um, you know, Anyone else sort of, it's, it's hard to know sort of what to talk about because you've covered so much. Um, did, did anything else stand out for either of you, Tom or Ollie? Yeah, um, I was just like think, think, talking about the Anfield Roads development. Um, Hamza, you're probably like more of an expert at this sort, on this sort of thing than me. You've done really good research into it. Would you say that the sort of financial costs of uh, doing something like that and getting the capacity up to 60,000? Do you th- how quickly do you think we'd see, obviously, because you've got some financial outlays, you've got money going out in order to do that, but how quickly do you think we'd see perhaps sort of uh, Liverpool climbing the league tables as a result of that, if you know what I mean, sort of getting their money back? And Do you think it's an investment like the owners are maybe like keen to take or 
despite having sort of said, yeah, we're probably going to look at the plans for it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, do you think that might be one they're reluctant to take because they don't think they'll see the sort of benefits of it whilst they're still uh, in charge of Liverpool? Um, I think in terms of payoff, as in for the, the stand directly, I, I, I can't answer that. Um, I'd imagine it would be uh, a, a few years or so. But in terms of um, the the overall benefit of it, I think it's very much something that the club are looking into and the club will think that they can take advantage of. Uh, the benefit of having a uh, and with regard to the the commercial revenues in terms of uh, match day revenues, um, yes, those would increase immediately. Um, you, you would see an improvement, and you'd see us rise in the table comparatively against all of our rivals. And I think it's very, very important that we do so because Spurs will have a sixty thousand capacity stadium very soon. Uh, Arsenal already do. Manchester United have eighty thousand capacity stadium. Chelsea providing that that house on the, the corner will will accept uh, the money from um, the Chelsea's board. Uh, we'll also have uh, a very sizable stadium around sixty thousand too. Uh, Manchester City already do. So what we're doing here is playing catch up. But what we can do is uh, take advantage because Anfield is a stadium which can be expanded upon. Uh, I know the cop at the moment, the way it's structured, means that we can't have corners on the stadium. So that's probably something that we're not going to see in the near future. That's something that will require a lot of sort of planning and permission from the council. But the council is very important here as well. So once we hit 60,000, the council will have a role to play uh, in increasing the the general facilities around the stadium. If you take West Ham, for, for example, uh, their new stadium, the Olympic Stadium, is probably the best stadium in the country in terms of transport links. You can catch tube there, you can catch the bus there, you can catch the train from St Pancras there. Uh, if you're coming internationally, you can get to the airport and then get uh, get to the stadium very, very quickly. For Liverpool, it's absolutely horrendous at the moment. I mean, if you drive, uh, there's loads of traffic, uh, car parking uh, nearby is always hard to find on match day. Uh, getting there by Lime Street, you have to catch a taxi to get to I uh, usually have to catch a taxi at least to get to Anfield. Yeah, the bus, the bus, the bus, the bus, is, the bus service is a nightmare. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Um, so the council will have a role to play in this as well. And um, at the moment, it looks like the, the club are doing good work with the council. Uh, and hopefully this will continue. So what we have is a, an investment that I think the club are very much willing to make because it also allows us, once we, once we have that 60,000 capacity, we can start bidding for to host international uh, competitions, European competitions, or say, um, I remember we had the Rugby World Cup uh, a few years ago, and uh, if Anfield had that sort of capacity in terms of um, uh, infrastructure to get people to and from the stadium, as well as the capacity, we could have bid for the uh, semi-finals or the the quarter-finals. Um, however, we're only allowed to have a, a group stage match. Uh, Villa Park, for instance, I think they had a semi-final, so we really should be looking to capitalise upon this and bid for Champions League finals once our capacity is up there, or Euro um, Euro game. I don't, I don't know how to uh, explain it because the Euro structure is now changing, so it's all over Europe. So I don't know if it's going to be group stages uh, or semi-finals yeah, or finals. So it's dotted, just spread around over the countries. Yeah, exactly. Like Wembley's got the two semi-finals and the final, hasn't it? Very much so. So this is the sort of thing that we should be doing and aiming for. And uh, it's something that we really can take advantage of. And it seems the club and the ownership and the board are very much looking to do this. 
Uh, but of course, there are going to be costs to it as well. Uh, we know football is already commercialised. The the individual fan, you and I, uh, the fan from Liverpool, uh, are now being priced out of the game. But there's little we can do about this because when you're paying players over two hundred thousand pounds a week, the cost is going to come from from uh, from somewhere. And with commercial deals as huge as they are, so take Manchester United's 750 million deal with Adidas, they still need to uh, find other sources um, of revenue. And that unfortunately has to be us. But then again, they, they're getting four billion pounds from, um, uh, the, the league is getting four billion pounds from the Sky and BT deals, which we're also paying for indirectly through our, our own subscription packages. I'm not to say you should only get Sky and BT, this isn't an endorsement. Obviously, you get the BBC, ITV, whatever you, you like. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's something that the club will look to do. Uh, I think it makes total financial sense. Uh, and I think uh, this uh, it's a shame, really. I think this will be the last step of the Apple redevelopment that we see for quite a while because of the way the copy is structured. Uh, and uh, th- there isn't a burning necessity to go beyond 61,000 or 63,000, which is what the Anfield Road redevelopment will do. It'd be nice to see the centenary or the uh, Kenny Dalvistan, sorry, um, redeveloped further, but I don't expect to see that soon. The demand is always there. As we know, prices are high. We sell out most, uh, most of our games. Um, but unless we see uh, other clubs suddenly expanding, it probably won't be worth uh, immediately going to redevelop uh, the King Dark Beast stand because it's quite it's quite big. But yeah, that, that's my take on the 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 stadium itself. Okay, Tom, do you have anything else you want to mention? Oh God, I think we've covered I think we've covered most of it in some degree. Um, the only other thing I don't think we've really discussed is the debt. But I'm not. I mean, I'd be curious to get Hamza's opinion on the debt the debt situation. And I mean, obviously Liverpool are a really well are a really well run club now. And obviously our debt is an issue that's certainly going away um, to an extent we've got better control of our debt than some of, than certainly some of the other clubs around us. So, um, but it is one of those things is um, the way debt. I mean, the way debt is with football clubs now, debt is just going to build up and up and up, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem because of the way our, um, in because of the way we're, we're making money at the moment, that is just something we, we manage really more than anything else. Um, Hamza, is there anything you wanted to sort of add on the debt situation? Uh, I mean, I know you, you talk a bit about how we've got quite a lot of fixed assets, which obviously are sort of long-term investments that have got a lot of ec- equitable capital rather than um, debt, rather than things that we own, if that makes sense. But is there anything you wanted to say on there, that element of it? Um, yeah, so if, if people don't already know, uh, we're fifth uh, of the, the European clubs in terms of our, <laughs> our, our, our net debt which stands at um, 272 million euros. Uh, sounds quite large. It is quite large. Um, but the thing is that the club have now got managed debt. And like you said, it's the assets very important. So now, uh, if we take a Coutinho deal, for instance, he was valued at over 140 million. That's remarkable, right? Um, I remember when we were bought out before, it, we weren't bought for um, that much more than the, the fee paid uh, for Coutinho. Um, so now we're seeing the rising value of players means that clubs, as, as well as the, the, the stadium itself, which has intrinsic value, as well as the massive commercial base, the fan base, 
uh, which bring in heaps of revenues, as well as the TV broadcasting deals. We're now seeing clubs with the ability to take on large debt to reinvest uh, in terms of players, in terms of stadia, and so on. Uh, and so instead of it being something that looms over the, the, uh, the board's head and restricts the, the club, it's now something the club is willing to take on. But we also have these record low interest rates at the moment set by the, the Bank of England, which banks are, are following, although they are set to go up very soon and already have gone up uh, since uh, a, a few months ago. Um, but the, the key to this, uh, if you're looking at the debt, is not to worry about the uh, the debt figure itself, it's to understand that it's managed. We're, we're dealing it in a business-like way. So we don't have to... I'm sure we won't be in a situation that Arsenal put Arsene Wenger in, uh, where they gave him a very restricted amount of money and said, this is what you've got, get top four, because we built the stadium. It's it's not like that, thankfully. And uh, the way that we're structured allows us to, to take advantage of uh, the broadcasting deals and reinvest in the team at the same time as investing in the club and overall infrastructure. Uh, what what would be good to see is a sort of an expansion of uh, the club staff, as in the non-footballing staff, the, the, uh, the staff that are running the club, uh, our, our scouting program, our analyst program. I think we have a lot to learn in that department as well. Uh, Arsenal at the moment are really leading um, the country in terms of their analytics department, and we should be looking to build upon that. Um, but with this extra money, we, we're able to do that. Uh, so in, in terms of debt, don't worry too much. It sounds very, very big, but the scope of the club, the capacity of the club, and our ability to invest makes us a very um, attractive prospect for those that are going to, to lend money to us. They're, they're going to be willing to lend money to us, and they're going to be fairly confident that we're going to pay it back because our, our club value has has increased uh, over threefold uh, in the past 10 years or so. Um, we were around uh, 300 odd million uh, around 10 years ago, maybe a bit more, and now uh, we're valued at over a billion. So what we're seeing now is uh, football clubs are very much on the up. Everyone knows this. Football clubs are uh, attractive investments, and we can take advantage of this. Uh, so we don't need to worry too much in terms of debt because it's managed, the interest rates are low, and a lot of it is from FSG, uh, their fund itself. So we're borrowing from ourselves, we can borrow at a low interest rate and not need to worry about uh, defaulting as uh, as what happened when we um, ran into trouble in 2010 with, with, with RBS. Uh, so yeah, so in this regard, we're on, we're on solid ground and there's no need to worry um, compared to other clubs, take uh, Aston Villa, for instance, who are sort of spending at a rate of a Europa League side but in the championship. Uh, for them, it's an all-or-nothing season, really. For us, it's it would be really, really, really helpful if we made the top four. Um, but we probably could go without it. That's not to say that that's acceptable, uh, but we probably could cope without it. Uh, but for us to keep improving at the current rate, we will still we will need to get Champions League football. Uh, so yeah, for, for this trend rate of growth to, be, uh, to keep at the current rate or increase, uh, we've got to be looking for for those sort of um, results in terms of the Champions League cups and the league and so on. And then we will actually see uh, our debt coming down 
and then we can even do uh, we can even engage in more and more investment to the team directly and uh, that will be very very interesting to see okay um, so we'll round off there then Ollie I'll go to you first have you got anything that you want to plug or anything coming out go and read my trends article and then if you like that you might get something else next week alternatively you might not but I will keep you guessing on that because I'm not quite sure <laughs> at the moment but yeah go read my trend stuff <laughs> like a lucky dip of articles when we get exactly. when we get black yeah <laughs> exactly keep you guessing Hamza how about you um so uh the AI Pro uh Tactics Weekly pod came out recently which is a Q&A special and uh, I asked a question about um whether we need a creative eight. So uh, Paul Dugleish uh, answered that with uh, with, with Rosie, and uh, I'm just doing a write-up on that, so that should be on the site soon. Uh, beyond that, it's just going to be the normal tactical pieces that will be coming out. But uh, And also, one more thing, I think uh, the club should be releasing their, their figures very, very soon, uh, so there'll be another type of these sort of financial articles that will be coming out when those those do come out, and I'll, I'll look to break those down. Okay. And um, lastly, Tom, anything from you? Yeah, a couple of bits. Um, I've got an article out about the Firmino racism thing now that it's finally been resolved. Um, I'm just, I just think it's a bit rubbish from the FA, really. The basis, basically, just the article. It's not a massively exciting one. Um, I have got a, a, a podcast out that I was on. I did a global podcast this week, and that's some really, really interesting stuff on there. We chatted about um, whether or not Liverpool needed Creative Eight as well spoiler alert i said we don't need a creative eight and um we also did uh we also talked about whether or not van D- how far van dyke goes into fixing our defensive problems and we also talked about um Klopp's rotation policy and how it's working this year how we're going to need it to work in future and how it's working better than last year okay it's pretty comprehensive um as for me i've got an article that's just come out about carrius and sort of his improvement over the last few games but how it's sort of part of a a longer journey that he has to undergo in order to sort of stake his claim to be Liverpool's long-term keeper rather than um, us spending big in the summer which I still think we should do despite reports suggesting otherwise Um, but yeah as ever just thank you very much to our two guests for their articles and um, please keep listening to the show and make sure you subscribe to AI Pro if you haven't done so already Um, but yeah thank you for listening Podcast Network. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.